Oh, man, I love our church. I am sorry about the music behind the announcements. That was actually my idea. <laughs> because last week, Hannah was giving the announcements, and Andrew was playing this beautiful little thing behind it. And I said, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Let's do that every time. And so I told Andrew, the director, and he made that happen. And then I was like, oh, yeah, well, not everybody you know, reacts the same way as I do to every single thing. I don't know. That's still something I'm learning as I uh, grow through life. But I love this church. I love you. I love praying with you. I love gathering requests. I'll be remembering those, thinking about those, reading the scriptures together, learning together. It's a wonderful time, worshiping together. We're uh, going to have some thoughts today from Genesis 30 and 31, where Jacob and Laban separate. Jacob and Laban have been living together. Now Jacob's going to leave, go back to the land of promise. Um, we're going to have to do some summarizing today. going to have to go kind of quick because the hope is to get to the end of these stories on Jacob before Advent. Then after Advent, we can pick right back up and we'll be running with Joseph, which that'll be a good time. And so we'll try to get to the end of these stories on Jacob in the next two weeks. If uh, all goes well, maybe we'll end with chapter 31 today, but we'll start in chapter 30 for some background Studying uh, Genesis line by line, if you're new, we're in a section on a guy named Jacob, and he has met God. He has a relationship with God. I hope you do too. We invite you to one. He invites you to one today if you don't, but he has a relationship with God. He has met God. He um, knows God. God knows him, but Jacob has had a rough past. Maybe one or two of you in here could relate in theory. Uh, you know, we have... A rough past, just like Jacob. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. Um, he's lied to his family multiple occasions, big lies too, to the point where his brother Esau threatens to kill him. So then Jacob has to run for his life. He runs 450 miles to a place called Haran to live with distant relatives, which is where we meet his uncle Laban. And he serves Laban seven years for Rachel but Uncle Laban pulls the old switcheroo on him, and he gives him Leah instead of Rachel. It's quite a shock. So he has to serve another seven years to marry Rachel. And there's this rivalry, we read this last week, between the sisters where they're inviting surrogate mothers into the family and all this stuff to have more kids than the other one. And they end up with four moms in this family and 11 kids. Quite a bit of friction. But not only is there friction between the wives, there is also friction between Jacob and Laban the whole time, these two tricksters, okay? So now, here's something you need to know when you go to read the scriptures, when you go to read the Bible. Whenever you have two alpha males in the narrative, whenever you have two main characters in the story, typically the author of the book, whatever book you're in, in this case in Genesis, it's the author's name is Moses, typically they are trying to show you the contrast between the two and what that does for you, the reader of the scriptures, this, the follower of Jesus, one trying to get close to God, what that does for you is it enables you, it gives you a chance to ask, which character are you in the story? Are you Laban in this case, or are you Jacob? Right? That's the case here. Whenever you got two kind of lead characters in a narrative of the Bible, just start asking yourself, which one do I most identify with? Right? So as we meet these two men, they kind of appear to be the same, particularly in Genesis 29, right? They're, they're, they're so similar. They're both deceptive. 
They're both deal makers. They're both from the same family. A lot of the, uh, the same information about God because they're both connected. They both have the same information about God because they're both connected to Abraham. Um, they have just. They, they both are very similar. But what's really interesting is as the story progresses, slowly but surely, they do start to contrast. At first, they look the same, but over time, Jacob, in all his dysfunction and in all his drama, is actually on a trajectory going towards God, and Laban is not. Okay, here's something you have to know. I just want to mention this briefly. A lot of times we expect when someone has an encounter with God that they are going to change instantly. And sometimes that's the case. There are stories like that. To be honest, that's kind of my story. When I got saved, it was a 180 in my life. Okay. However, I do want to say this. The Bible does give us another category of someone having an encounter with God. And though their change isn't an immediate turnaround, their change is actually one of trajectory. It's not that they do a 180, but their direction does slowly but surely change. Right? You have to know that this is part of the category or else you won't be a gracious, loving, uh, uh, merciful follower of Jesus like you ought to be. Right? You go outside today, let's say, at Griggs, and you see someone from Griggs, let's say, smoking a cigarette. And you think, oh, is that one of their deacons? Maybe, but I'm just kidding. Um, this guy's out here smoking a cigarette. You think he needs to grow out of that. What you don't know is he has grown a lot. You should have seen what he was smoking six months ago. Right? This cigarette's growth. You see what I'm saying? He's actually on the right trajectory. He's actually going the right direction. That's kind of Jacob's story. You see him in chapter 29 in particular, and he's this, he, he needs to grow. You're like, this dude, he had this encounter with God on his way to Haran when the dream about the ladder and he's meeting God out in the wilderness and God makes a promise to him and it doesn't look like he's changed a bit and what we'll see is there's actually a contrast between Laban and Jacob and that Jacob has changed slowly but surely over time so that he's actually not like Laban at all. So we read about this contrast a little bit today and then we ask ourselves the question, who are we in the story? Laban or Jacob? So I'll give you this contrast uh, to kick it off with. One is concerned with the blessing. One is concerned with the blesser. One knows the blessing, one knows the blesser. Look at Genesis 30. Let's start in verse 25. It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph. So that's the 11th son. There is going to be 12 eventually, but for now they're done. The 11th son, Jacob's had her child naturally. It's his... I'm sorry, Rachel's had her child naturally. It's a significant moment for the family. When she had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. So he wants to go back 450 miles to the land of promise, a place called Canaan, where his father Isaac lives. Verse 26, Jacob's talking to Laban. He says, give me my wives, my children, for whom I have served you, and let me go. For you know my service, which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes. Very interesting. For I have learned by experience, it's very interesting, that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. 
Then he said, name your wages and I will give it. Okay, so just stop right there. This is very interesting, and particularly this word experience. Laban says to Jacob, don't go. I've learned by experience that I'm blessed because you're here. That word experience, the Hebrew word under it, would be a spiritual experience, and it wasn't a good one, a holy one, a righteous one. How we would say it in 2021, how perhaps some of your Bible translations will say it, is that Laban learned through divination, like witchcraft, like fortune-telling, divination, that God has been blessing him simply because his chosen man, Jacob, was with him, like nearby. Okay? So Laban knows that this great God, the Lord, has given him a blessing. His crops have grown, his sheep have multiplied, business is booming. Laban knows that's because Jacob is nearby. And by the way, Jacob knows that this is because he's nearby. Like Jacob knows this, Jacob experiences this too. I mean, keep reading, look at verse 29, Genesis 30, 29. Jacob said to him, you know, I've served you and how your livestock has been with me for what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. Now, when shall I provide for my own house? Now, let me go do this for my own father, Isaac. So Jacob basically right here says, yep, you've been blessed by God. He just reiterates what Laban is saying. Like when I got here, you were a mom and pop shop. Now you're corporate. When I got here, you had enough for one stand at the farmer's market, and now we're franchising. So what's the difference here between Laban and Jacob? Well, as the story unfolds, here's what we see, that Laban's knowledge stops there. It stops at the blessing. However, Jacob knows the blessing, and the one sending the blessing, the blesser. Laban's content with just the blessing. Jacob goes beyond and knows the blesser. Laban, in verse 27, says, through divination, right, through, through unholy spiritual means, I have learned that God has blessed me. But instead of wanting that God to be around, he just wants Jacob to be around so that the blessing will continue. He doesn't want the blesser himself. He doesn't seek or desire to know the God sending this blessing. He just wants the blessing, the wealth, the security, the comfort Jacob, throughout 30 and particularly 31, a couple of times will show his love for God himself as his protector, as his helper. He'll be willing to leave Laban's farm, to go back home and to take a long journey with four wives and 11 kids to go see his estranged family. He loves God. Do you love God? I want all of you to know that there is something greater out there than God's blessing. And that is God himself. Amen? I want you to be more than a Laban. Anyone could be a Laban. Everyone is a Laban. We're all, we all start off Labans. Anybody can see we're blessed because of God's chosen man, which in this side of history, on this side of history, is not Jacob, but Jesus. When God said he was going to use Jesus to bless all families of the earth, he meant it. He kept that promise. Pretty much every truly positive thing in our world goes back to Jesus. 
Freedom was Jesus' idea, all men being created equal. Women's rights was Jesus' idea, calling them his disciples when rabbis wouldn't even let them in the school. Orphanages, medical care, learning institutions, care for the elderly, like such as widows. Every good thing from disaster relief to adoption comes from Christians being like Christ. All our blessings, even if you're a non-Christian, all good gifts come down from the Father of Lights. It was Jesus preparing your breakfast. Jesus, not the barista handing you that coffee. All your blessings are from Jesus. Anybody can be a Laban and see the blessing, receive the blessing, and enjoy the blessing. But I want you to go beyond that. And that I want you to not just know the blessing, but the blesser. Not just know Christianity, but Christ. I mean, you could be blessed by a Christian rehab and not know Christ. You could be blessed by a Christian school and not know Christ. Do you know Christ? By knowing Christ, I mean learning about Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, loving Christ for himself, not just what he gives you. The other day, I uh, picked up Maren from school, and I asked her, how'd your spelling test go? And She said, I don't want to talk about it. Seven years old. I don't want to talk about it. And I said, oh, it's okay if it went bad. Like, you know, we're millennial parents, right? And I'm like, hey, dude, what's right for you is right for you. Just kidding. But I was like, Ed Dunn, like, I don't want you to be afraid to tell me if you didn't do well on a first grade spelling test is really what I mean. I was like, hey, it's okay if it went bad. She goes, it didn't go bad. I just don't want to talk about it. Seven. I'm like, okay, well, do you want ice cream? And she was like, oh, absolutely. Yes, let's go get ice cream. I want a vanilla milkshake. And I said, okay, so you don't want to have conversation with daddy, but you'll have ice cream with daddy. And she basically went, yeah. I'm dead serious. Because she, she, she's seven, she has no idea that that's incredibly hurtful. She's like, yeah. Let's get ice cream, man. You're passing all these great spots. When that happened, it was funny because it was just this moment, this natural moment in family life. I'm like, oh, that's who Laban is. And I've been that guy a million times too. What about you? I want the blessing, but not the blesser. The blessings of Father God, but not actually be a son or daughter, at least act like one. This is Laban. He loves the blessing, not the blesser. Here's a question for you tonight or this morning, whatever time it is. Like I said, I do have a seven-year-old, so I have been up for hours. And my five-year-old, he came into the bed twice last night. So I don't know what time it is. But if this is reality, here's my question for you. How are you doing with the great commandment? That great commandment Jesus gave us. Thou shalt love the Lord God with all your heart. Amen. If you were given everything you truly wanted, truly wanted this morning, would you have a whole bunch of stuff or would you have a savior? The contrast between Laban and Jacob is one is good with just the blessing and the other has been this whole time going beyond and now he knows the blesser. Another contrast is one has transactional faith, one has true faith. Look at verse 1 of the next chapter. Genesis 31, verse 1. 
Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob's taken all that was our father's, and from what our father had, he acquired all his wealth. So there's this rumor around that, going around that, you know, Jacob's a thief. Verse 2, Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him. So he's giving him the cold shoulder. Verse 3, the Lord shows up. He said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. So at the end of chapter 30, Laban convinces Jacob to stay, and he does stay for another six years. And although Laban's trying to stifle Jacob's pay, all the flocks keep coming to Jacob. All the good flocks keep coming to Jacob because of God's blessing. His wealth just keeps increasing no matter what trickery Laban employs. And so Laban eventually just gets plain jealous, and he starts spreading rumors about Jacob, and he's changed his whole demeanor towards Jacob. He's jealous because God has been prospering Jacob. But what he should be desiring is God's presence with Jacob. You see, if all you want is God's prosperity, your faith is only going to be able to make it to a transactional level. Okay, you will only do something for God if you think you will get something from God. That's Laban. Laban's constantly trying to pull something out of Jacob and Jacob's God. You see this in verse 7 through 9. As they're about to flee, he's telling his wives, hey, it's time to leave. And this is what he says in verse 7. Look at Genesis 31, 7 through 9. Your father has deceived me, changed my wages ten times, but God didn't allow him to hurt me. If he said the speckled are your uh, sheep are your wages, all the flocks bore speckled sheep, right? If he said the streaked will be your ra- uh, wages, the streaked sheep, then all the flocks were streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father, given him to me. So it's really interesting in this text, we see that Laban changed Jacob's wages 10 times. Right? How would you like that at your job if every... every <laughs> Every paycheck for 10 paychecks was different. And I'm not talking about different as in going up, just different. That's what's going on. So why? Why is Laban doing all this and saying, okay, you get the speckled from now on. Nope, uh, they're all speckled. Okay, fine. Now you get the stripe. There's hardly any stripe. Okay, now they're all striped. What's going on is that he's transactional. He is trying to figure out, okay, so God blesses me because Jacob's here, and so i got to figure out how to get something out of this, take advantage of this situation to manipulate it, control it. He has this transactional faith and keeps him changing these wages, trying to get the edge and the advantage from God. You know, this is why some people even give. Some people even, they they give to God because they're hoping that God will somehow give back to them the money that they gave and maybe even double. And once in a while, God does do something like that. But that's not why you give. That's called prosperity gospel. It's an extremely transactional view of faith. Laban's trying to get something out of God. He wants to know prosperity. And interestingly, he never gets it. He never gets it. However, Jacob, Jacob over time desires God's presence. And here's something interesting about desiring the presence of God. If you, if all you want is the presence of God, you will get it. Because if there's one thing God is, it's there. (laughs) Also, if all you want is the presence of God, your faith will be true. 
True faith, not transactional faith. And true faith enables us to do something very different, and that is to obey God without knowing what we're going to get out of it. True faith enables us to obey God, not even knowing if this will go well. In fact, true faith enables us to obey God, knowing sometimes you obey God, and everything actually gets harder, like uprooting your entire life and moving back to your estranged brother, which is what God has asked Jacob to do. You say, how's that going to go? At this point, it's hard to say. Jacob doesn't know. Laban's going to be mad. He's going to have to see Isaac, his father, who he disappointed all those years ago, running back into his hairy brother Esau, some spear in his hand, and chip on his shoulder. That could go bad. He doesn't know how that's going to go. This commandment from God to leave and go back to his hometown leaves him with a lot of unknowns. But here's the one thing he does know is that God will be with him. Some of you in this room right now probably... Let's crowd this size. There's someone in here that is contemplating obeying God. You are contemplating obeying God, and the only thing keeping you from actually obeying God is you don't know how it's going to go if you obey. Join the club. I do it every Sunday. I get up behind this pulpit in obedience to God, and I have no idea how it's going to go. I honestly feel that way. I do that at funerals, I do this at doors, knocking on doors, I do this at events. Right? You think I know people are showing up for trunk or treat? No, it's like the fire festival, man. I just throw it, advertise it, and fast. Not for very long. Right? You don't know how it's going to go. Right? Some of you are like, should I take this job? I don't know how it's going to go. Correct, you don't. Right? Should I move? I don't know how it's going to go. I, I know. Should I say what's really on my mind? I don't know how that's going to go. I, I know. Should I serve? Should I go into ministry? How will that go? I don't know. And you're probably, like me, in the past, I've been this way, been this way a lot, paralyzed because you're focused on what you don't know. You're tempted with this transactional faith. Like, if I knew that this was going to go well, I'd obey but what you need is not to be Laban, to be Jacob, to repent and trust the one who loves you and is with you. F true faith comes from knowing, or uh, really focusing on what you do know. And what you do know is he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Holy Spirit is God, and he fills us, and he guides us, and he leads us, and he shepherds us. This is what we know. And when this is what you know and you obey simply for this reason, it's a mark of true faith. That's the kind of faith we're starting slowly but surely to see in Jacob. Jacob obeys in true faith. He doesn't know how this is all going to go. He talks to his wives, says, time to go. He's changed my wages again. The Lord says to start packing. And for the first time in a long time, Leah and Rachel hear the plan and they agree. So it's one of the greatest miracles in the Bible here. Like, yeah, we want to leave Laban too. He spent our inheritance money. He treats us like foreigners. Let's go. Verse 17, we see the obedience of Jacob. True faith. 
Genesis 31, 17, Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock, all his possessions, which he had gained, and acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan, the obedience of Jacob. Part of this, Moses is writing to his original audience, the people of Israel, who also had just left a really bad boss, a dude named Pharaoh, Google him, he was wild. They just left slavery, and they're headed towards Canaan. And he's showing them, hey, we don't know exactly how this is going to go, but our father Jacob left slavery and went to Canaan, and he obeyed not knowing how it will go. But God was with him and God's with us. That's part of what he's doing. And it's also partly for all who will read after. It's partly for us to ask ourselves, are we Laban or are we Jacob? Transactional faith, true faith. That's the contrast. Let's go to the third contrast. These two men are contrasted further. One serves a missing God and one serves a mighty God. Here's where things get really Interesting. We're going to back up to 17 again, 30, chapter 31, verse 17, but this time we're going to head through, I think, verse 30. Look at verse 17. It says, Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried all his livestock and his possessions, which he had gained, will go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Okay, so verse 19. Now Laban, right back at the camp, back at home, he had gone to shear his sheep. So he's not in the house. And this is apparently, you know, before they left, while they're about to rush out of town, Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Okay, a couple things to note. Okay, She steals the idols. These idols were very common in that culture. They're like, you put them on the table, put them on a a mantle for a fireplace. I mean, use your imagination. You put them somewhere prominent in the home. Though they were very common, we actually don't know to a T which God they represent. They were supposed to bring luck and fortune into the home, which is really ironic because they're being stolen out of the home. We'll hit a little bit more of that in a second. One thing that's just really interesting is that Moses doesn't tell us that she, Rachel, stealing these, she did take them, but it doesn't tell us that she worshiped them. In fact, it doesn't even mention this all too negatively. So we're, we're, we're confused, right? I don't know. You, you don't know. We don't know why she takes them. It could just be that they're made of gold and that they're valuable. It could be to get back at her father for some former mistreatment, like swapping her out on her wedding night. That can tend to leave a wound. Okay? She's getting back at him. We don't, know. we don't know why she takes the idols. We just know that she takes the idols. Okay, verse 20. And Jacob fled, unknown to Laban the Syrian. And that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. Verse 21, so he fled with all that he had and he arose and he crossed the river and he headed towards the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So Jacob has a three-day start. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued Jacob for seven days journey and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. So he catches up. Even though he had a, Jacob had a head start, Laban catches up. But there is a catch itself. Verse 24, But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Does Laban obey? Not a chance. Verse 25, So Laban overtook Jacob, right? 
Next day, he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So instead of not speaking to Jacob, he goes to Jacob and speaks. Now, Jacob had uh, pitched his tent in the mountains. Laban, his brethren, pitched their tents in the mountains of Gilead. Laban comes up to Jacob. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You fled unknown to me, and you carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword. Look down at verse 28. You did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you, Jacob, Laban says, you, Jacob, have done foolishly in so doing. It was in my power to do you harm. Like, I could have killed you, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Verse 30, and now, surely you're leaving, surely you've gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? And there, ladies and gentlemen, is the heart of the matter. It's not that his kids are leaving. It's not that his grandkids are leaving. It's not even that Jacob and the blessing of all the flock is leaving. It's his gods have been stolen. Now let's stop and think about that for a second. Stop and think about idols, Laban's and our own. How blind is the human heart? Laban is seeking after idols after a living God appears to him out in the wilderness on his way to overtake Jacob. So he now, he, I mean, we know for sure he's got both options. Like, Living God comes to him just like he came to Jacob when Jacob was on his way to Haran. Living God comes to him the next day. Instead of living God, he wants the missing God. Right? One can find him anywhere. The other one he has to go find. One is everywhere. The other one has to be in a specific location, on the fireplace mantle, in his home. One God can speak to him. The other God cannot be heard. One God doesn't miss anything. The other God is missing himself and yet he's still running after his idols how blind is the human heart to worship a god that can go missing i just want you to know a god that can get lost is no god at all if if google knows more than your god if the gps is a better leader then you're God. You are serving no God at all. And yet Laban has this audacity to call Jacob the fool for following his God, this God that shows up to him and warns him. And yet we see Jacob is not the fool, Laban is. And we are, whenever we worship false gods and whenever we hold to our idols, we make a fool of ourselves, spending our time, our energy, looking out for a God we acquired to look out for us. When we spend our time, our efforts, our money rescuing our gods that we swore were going to rescue us. It's foolish. And Laban here is the fool. And Moses, he makes sure that we know that. Right? He does this by including this little tidbit of the story. Check this out in verse 32. This is a trip. Jacob said, hey, if you find your gods, whoever you find your gods with, do not let him live. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Okay, don't worry, it's going to be all right. Verse 33, Laban went into Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, to the two maids' tent, but he didn't find them. 
When he went out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols, but she put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban searched all about Rachel's tent, the tent, but he didn't find them. He comes out of the tent, it's supposed, in verse 35, she says to her father, Let not it displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but didn't find his household idols. Fascinating, right? Laban enters the tents of all these people, like a TSA agent who's had too much caffeine, right? He's making them walk through a detector, patting them down ripping through their luggage, and it gets to Rachel, who actually has the idols, and she says, I can't get up to greet you and to bow before you like would have been customary, because the way of women is upon her, and I'm assuming we all know what that means. If not, you're on your own. This will not make sense. From what I read, apparently... This would have been hilarious somehow to the original audience. Like, I don't get the cultural joke, but somehow this would have been a joke that somehow makes Laban look silly, like a fool. I don't know. I mean, I've tried to put it together. I think it's just a simple lie. That's how it reads to me. I don't know. But apparently Moses is showing the foolishness of Laban. Maybe it's that he's strong enough to hunt Jacob down. Though he had a three-day head start, he can hunt down Jacob in the wilderness, but he's not going to mess with his daughter while the way with women is with her. Like, he's, he's just this interesting guy who just won't, he's not going to mess with that, right? I don't really know what it is, but apparently the original audience would have been like, not, not Jacob, Laban is the fool. That's the idea is to show that he is foolish because he is worshiping other gods who are supposed to have a supernatural power but can be hidden by one of his daughters in her natural moment of difficult, like weakness. Now, it's easy to dog on Laban, but remember the main point is that we're asking who we are in the story, and so we got to dog on ourselves a little bit because a lot of us, including myself, we tend to be like Laban. Our hearts are blind. We worship idols that can go missing, and they may not be idols like Laban's idols. False religions like his false religion, that really can go missing. A temple, shrine, those things can burn down. But it's also true with our idols of the heart. Do not idolize your wealth. It can go missing. Do not idolize your reputation. It can go missing. Do not idolize people. They can go missing. Do not idolize comfort. It can go missing. Don't be foolish like Laban. His gods went missing. And he's made a fool of in front of his posse and his family. And the, of course, this contrasts with Jacob's God, the mighty God. The God who found him at Bethel, the God who rescued him, protected him. Right? Laban goes through all the stuff, they can't find it. So Jacob now lays into Laban. He gets furious and he delivers him a sharp rebuke and he brags on God in the middle of it. You see this in verse 36. Jacob was angry, rebuked Laban. 
Jacob answered and said to Laban, what's my trespass? What's my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched through all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before me, before your brethren, that they may judge between us both. Now go down to verse 41. I've been in your house 20 years. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed, even after 20 years. But God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. This is contrasted. His missing gods are contrasted with the mighty God. Jacob sent Laban off empty-handed, but God has filled his hands. Jacob and Laban in chapter 29 start off over this, uh, almost the same, but over a 20-year period that they are together, we see that Jacob slowly is seeing the hand of the mighty God and is trusting in him. He says, no matter what you did, my mighty God was with me and prepared income and wages for me that you couldn't manipulate. In fact, if you go back to chapter 30, we don't have time to read it, but you'll see this very fascinating story where when he says, hey, will you stay with me? And, you know, Jacob stays six more years. Laban, that's one of the times he changes his wages. Laban says, you get all the striped sheep. But then Laban that same day stole the striped sheep, put them somewhere else. So Jacob had nothing. And Jacob does this really interesting, like, superstition of that day and where they thought the environment in which sheep were bred affected the color of the sheep and the, the way the sheep looked. That's not true, but that's what the superstition was of the day. That's what they thought. Jacob used that uh, knowledge, and he would actually strip off bark from st sticks. He would cut off the bark so that there was a piece of that inner wood showing a stripe. And he would put those striped logs in the watering trough and by where the sheep would mate. And though they were white sheep, somehow they were having striped babies and speckled babies. And so though Laban goes to trick him and to, and to cause poverty for him, the mighty hand of God even uses Jacob's lack of knowledge and presence of superstition to show his power and to bless Jacob. And to give him the multitude and to give him the majority of the sheep through unexplainable means. So even though Laban you know, is trying to act like God, there is a more powerful God at play. Jacob here is bragging on him. He's saying he is the mighty God who never goes missing. He is the mighty God who is for me. He's the mighty God who cares. He's the mighty God who rescues. And this mighty God even rescued Jacob with all his drama and all his dysfunction from Laban. After this sharp rebuke, Laban gives up so that Jacob can go back to the land of promise and out from under the thumb of Laban. They set up a pile of stones at the end of the text, which would have been a sign of a covenant. You could read in verse 51, 52, they say, I'm not going to pass beyond, Laban says, I'm not going to pass beyond this pile of stones to get to you. And then Jacob is not going to pass beyond the pile of stones to get back to Laban to do harm to one another. Genesis 31, 54, Jacob offers a sacrifice on the mountain, which would have been the sacrifice of the covenant. So it's how they cut the covenants, where we actually get the phrase cutting a deal is the sacrificial covenant. And they called, 
each other, the brethren, to eat bread, and they ate bread, and they stayed all night on the mountain. Covenants back then would have been solidified by sharing a meal. You get all the way down to verse 55, Genesis 31, 55, and early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place, and we never hear from Laban again. So Jacob obeyed not knowing how all this would go, and it didn't go great. There was confrontation, things got heated, things got awkward. But in the end, the mighty God won over Laban's missing gods. Now Jacob has to go face his brother Esau, get into that next week, there's hurdles to come. But I sure love this story, this simple narrative of how the two separate and how Jacob makes it back to the promised land. I love this story because it shows us someone's slow but sure growth, his trajectory in a relationship with God. It shows us Jacob's day-to-day relationship to that God of the covenant who found him in the wilderness. From here on out in the Bible, it'll make sense why God is often identified as the God of Jacob. You'll see this all throughout the Bible. This guy with a dysfunctional family, this guy with all his sin and his drama, God is his God, the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is mentioned in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, It's mentioned in 2 Samuel, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. The God of Jacob. But Laban, who has all the same things, similar character, the same sins, he never believes, and thus he's never identified with God. There is no God of Laban gone missing. And I have to ask myself, who am I, Laban or Jacob? Is he the God of Mitch? Is he the God of your name? And in this age of grace, it all comes down to what we do with Jesus. In fact, there's a passage in Acts 3 about the early church and the God of Jacob, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple to pray. And as they enter into the beautiful gate, there is an invalid man who cannot walk And Peter says to him, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he reaches out his hand and he pulls the guy up and the guy's legs are made strong and he stands and he walks and he leaps and he praises God. And this whole crowd gathers around the miracle and they start asking Peter, like, dude, how'd you do that? Like, how do we have this power? How do we get what you got? How do we have what you have? And here's what Peter says in Acts 3, 12. So Peter responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the Just One, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God then raised from the dead, which we are witnesses. By faith in his name, in Jesus' name, this man has been risen to walk. Verse 19 in chapter 3, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter calls this crowd a bunch of Labans. He says, you denied Jesus. Jesus is the blessing and the blesser. 
Jesus is not the missing God, but he is God incarnate, God in the flesh, the God who became a man and dwelt among us. He took on a human body, and that human body you have slayed with your sin. And yet in that slaying was great forgiveness for your sin. And he died in our place. And he rose again in our place. And he ascended to his place. And the mighty God conquered our idolatry, conquered our false religion, conquered our rebellion with his bloody cross and his empty tomb. So he says to the crowd, like Laban, you have a transactional faith. You traded Jesus for Barabbas. But here's good news for the Labans out here. Here's good news for when I'm Laban. You can repent. Repent and believe with a true faith. And like Jacob, your sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing will come, not just from the prosperity of the Lord, but from the presence of the Lord. He loves Jacob. And he loves us and all who will believe. So do not be Laban. Repent of your idolatry and repent of your transactional faith and repent of just desiring blessing all the time and want something much bigger. The blesser himself, be Jacob. And all that comes down to is knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus. Let's pray and we'll worship again. Jesus, help us to be... In this case, like Jacob. Lord, as we contrast the two men, we see we're often like the former, not the latter. We're often like Laban. And Lord, as long as you feed us and house us and clothe us, we're good. But Lord, we want something greater, a heavenly food, a heavenly home. Not stuff, but a savior. We want to know that you're with us. We want to know you and your holiness. Just to know that you know us, just your presence the fact that you save and redeem and justify and call us righteous because of the blood, death, resurrection, help us be consumed with these things in true faith. And out of that true faith, obey, not even worried about how it'll go, but who we're going with. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take your hymnals. We are going to stand and sing again. We're going to sing hymn number 61, Almighty Father, hymn number 61. Almighty Father, you alone are holy, you are my refuge, I will trust. 